In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. Whenever our family goes on a road trip somewhere, we pass through one of those tunnels. We're going under something. I like to play a game where we try to hold our breath and see who can hold their breath the longest. Helps pass the time, and Dad always wins, so it's good for my self-esteem. <laughs> okay. But you'll notice, like, if you ever hold your breath for just a little bit longer than is comfortable, you quickly realize just how important and how valuable breathing is. We usually take it for granted. We know that we have to breathe to live. To stop breathing is to stop living. Now, the average human breathes about 20,000 times in a day which is about 750 million times over the course of their life. It's just basic math and averages, so 20,000 times in an hour, 20,000 times in a day, and you multiply it times the number of days and the number of days in a year, the number of years a person lives, you get approximately 750 million times. But that's not really accurate. That's just an average. If you really want to know for sure, you have to count every breath, every minute of every day, even while you sleep. You have to organize somebody to count your breaths even while you're sleeping. Just think about how that would go and how you'd live your life. Very quickly you'd find that while it is essential to life for you to breathe, Spending your life counting those breaths is not living at all. You live in bondage to the counting, and your counting would consume you. It would rob your life of joy and purpose. So stop breathing, and you die. So you do it naturally, even joyfully. But try to keep track of your breathing and life gets miserable pretty quickly. In today's gospel lesson, Peter asks Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive somebody who sins against me? As many as seven times? That's a fair question for Peter to ask because remember in the context, like just before this in Matthew 16, Jesus has commended Peter for his confession and given him the keys to the kingdom of heaven and said, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven so that forgiveness would be the thing echoing throughout the Lord's church. And then just before today's gospel, we have Matthew 18, where the Lord is teaching how to reconcile among Christians within the church, that forgiveness would be going between brothers in the Lord's church. So Peter has forgiveness on the brain. But then Peter starts to really think about it. What if somebody keeps sinning against me? What if it's the same annoying guy doing the same frustrating thing? Do I have to keep forgiving him? Even something as crazy as seven times? Now, seven times might at first seem kind of stingy, maybe from our perspective. 
But in the Jewish context, the scribes were teaching the, you could say the three strikes and you're out rule. So really three times is the amount of times you're supposed to forgive someone and then you can be done. And so what Peter does here is he takes the three, he doubles it and adds one more. So he's really being excessive. And he he got that holy number of seven. So how about seven times? Plus, you can even count to seven on your fingers. So it's easy to keep track of how many times people sin against you. Peter wants to be a sin counter. He wants to put a cap on forgiveness. He wants to have a budget for his forgiving, and he wants to stay in the black. But if that's how Peter wants to live, then he'll have no life at all. Like spending his life keeping track of breaths. Jesus wants to set him free from such misery. So he says, not seven times, Peter, but 70 times seven. That is, it's more than you can count on your fingers, and it's more than you can keep track of without a spreadsheet. So instead of keeping track, Peter, just forgive. Instead of counting breaths, just breathe and enjoy life. Instead of keeping track of sins, just forgive and enjoy life. To drive home the point for Peter and really for us, Jesus gives today's parable and the gospel lesson. So it's really three distinct scenes and we can recount the parable, I think it's helpful. In the first scene, we get this vivid picture of the king in his throne room and he's called before him all the servants who owe him debts. So you can maybe see him lining up outside the doors into his throne room. In comes the servant who owes him, it says, 10,000 talents. So a talent, just to put it in perspective, is an entire year's wage. So 10,000 of those. So take whatever you make in a year and add four zeros to the end. So if you make like $100,000 a year, that's a billion dollars. I did this on the calculator and it gave me one of those like one with an E to the number. I don't know what that even means. There's not enough space in the calculator to give me all the zeros. That's how big the debt is for this guy. And he comes before the servant or the servant comes before the king and the king demands to sell the guy and all of his stuff and all of his family to maybe make a dent in this massive debt. I mean, how do you run up a debt that large? It is insane. It's, we're, we're to be thinking this is a crazy amount of debt. But at the threat of being thrown in prison, the servant says, have mercy. He asks for not forgiveness. He doesn't say he's sorry. He doesn't ask for the debt to be forgiven. He says, could you give me some more time? Now, if you had some more time, could you come up with a billion dollars? So what's he thinking he's going to do? How much time is he possibly going to need? He asked for more time. And in response, the text says, the king has pity, he's moved to compassion, and he just forgives the debt. That wasn't what was asked, but he forgives the debt. So not only did he, he didn't get more time, the entire debt was forgiven. So that's the first scene. And then in the second scene, you kind of picture him running out of the throne room. So I get that line of servants outside the door waiting to see what's going to happen. How's this guy to kind of come out? Like when my brother and I were little, we'd get like a spanking. And he would always go first because he was braver than me. And I could see on his face like how mad mom was. <laughs> Based on, is he smiling and kind of winking at me? She's in a good mood, don't worry. Or is he crying and running off? And that's what they're looking for. 
as the servants come out of the door. What's he going to do? What mood is the king in? So he comes out the door, and he's not frolicking happily, but he grabs his fellow servant. And I picture maybe one of the guys even in line, because it says soon after that, he grabs one of these fellow servants and he starts choking him. Because he owes him, it says, a hundred denarii. So a denarii is a day's wage. So a hundred denarii is still significant. It's like three months of pay. And this servant actually begs for the same thing. He doesn't say sorry. He doesn't ask for forgiveness. He asked for time. Now, if he had time, he could probably come up with three months wages, come up with some kind of payment plan. We can work this thing out. But that first servant has no mercy and has him thrown in jail until the debt can be repaid. That's the second scene. And so then the third scene is all these servants who are watching this thing pan out. They run into the king and say, what has happened? How this servant has choked the dead out of the, out of the second servant. And then we have the third scene where the king invites then back that first servant and he's furious with him. And he tells him, you should have forgiven the dead as I had mercy on you. And he throws him into the jail where he would wait until, as the text says, all of his debt is repaid. Now, it's going to be pretty hard for him to pay off the billion-dollar debt from prison. So that means he's going to jail forever. And then Jesus says, so your heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's easy for us to see the clear point in this parable, isn't it? We've had a great debt forgiven, and so we should forgive others freely. Besides, only some kind of an insane cartoon villain would be so unforgiving as that servant in the parable who had just had a massive debt forgiven and yet to refuse to forgive something so small in comparison. Now, hypothetically, if you run this through in your mind in the parable, if that king had demanded repayment and had given him the time that he asked for, we could then reasonably expect that that first servant is going to come running out of that room frantic and fearful, scurrying around, choking all of his colleagues for every debt they ever owed him. We'd expect him to become Captain Stingy, who asks for reimbursement every time he gives anybody a ride. He wants to be repaid for every cup of sugar he lends his neighbor. That means nobody wants to hang out with him anymore. He loses all of his friends. His generosity is dead. His joy is dead. And he'd wake up every morning with a looming fear that this might be the day that the debt will be recalled and I'm going to jail. What a miserable way to live. But the king didn't want that. He didn't want that reputation for himself as being a stingy and cruel king. And the king didn't want that servant to live in such a miserable way. The king wants to be known as a merciful and generous king. After all, the servant could never repay such a massive debt anyway. So when the servant asks for more time to repay, you can imagine the king kind of rolls his eyes and laughs and says, yeah, right, and just forgives the debt. Now that meant, it's important to note here, 
that the debt just didn't disappear. So when the king forgives the debt, it means the king eats the debt for himself. Debts don't just disappear, even though governments tend to act that way sometimes. The king took the debt himself. He paid the price, he ate the cost, and let the servant go free. Free from debt, free from fear, and free to live in joy. Now, he should have come sprinting out of that room, hugging everybody in sight, buying cigars in celebration, joyfully forgiving every debt that anyone ever had, giving his stuff away, all from the example of the king. So that if anyone were to look on, not knowing anything about the king and not knowing anything that's happening in that room, they conclude that this king was insanely merciful because that's how his servants are to one another. They are insanely merciful to one another. That's the kind of reputation the king wanted, and that's the kind of reputation the Lord Jesus wants. The reputation of being a merciful, generous, and forgiving Lord. He's not an accountant. He's not a bookkeeper. He's not a sin counter. He is a forgiver. And he sets us to forgive in such a way that others will see our forgiveness and know by that what kind of king the Lord Jesus is. The forgiveness of Jesus has no strings, no prerequisites, and no expectations because it is a gift. And that's what it means for something to be a gift. Notice that in the parable, the servant didn't even ask for the debt to be forgiven, but he wanted time, as if there could ever be enough of it. And yet the king was moved to compassion and showed mercy, forgiving the entire debt without contingency or strings. The servant didn't ask or even say he was sorry. So you couldn't look at his apology and say, well, you could tell he was really sorry. That's the way we kind of withhold forgiveness from one another, based on how sorry we think other people are. That's not the case here. He didn't even ask for it, but the debt is still forgiven. Now, in this fallen world, it is very likely that you have been sinned against greatly. No doubt you have been treated unfairly. The evil has been spoken about you. The pain has come to you or that your reputation has been harmed in some way. In this sinful world, sin will always find its way to you. And when it does, it stings, it hurts. Our instinct is to fix the sting by stinging back or by keeping track of the wrongs done to us until justice is paid. But that won't fix the sting. And it's not freedom, nor will it bring you peace in the end. The Lord, your Lord Jesus, has a better way for you to live. He wants to set you free from the misery of such bookkeeping. And he sets you free to forgive joyfully and generously. The pain of the sins done to us is removed, not through vengeance or repayment, 
but simply by forgiving. Consider the greatness of the debt he has removed from you and live in that peace, forgiving others just as freely. Breathing is essential to life, but to count every breath during your life is no way to live. Forgiveness is simply the breath of the Christian. No counting, no bookkeeping, just forgiving. And in that, the Lord sets us free from the pain of sin and gives us joy for every day. In the name of Jesus, amen. We stand for prayer.